Please be seated. Thank you for coming. I'd like to read out of Jude 24, just an opening this morning service. And it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in his presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times, for now and forever. Amen. Amen. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you that we can stand before you and your glory would shine upon us and the Father would have great joy. We thank you for the amazing presence of God. And when you say you will make us blameless, spotless, pure and holy, we're coming back for a bride. Lord, you're preparing us to have one love, to be joined to you. No, the prayer of your Father was that we would be one, as you and Christ are one. And Father, we pray that you would help us to truly have revelation of you. We ask you to open the heavens and truly pour out your light and your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. What's so fascinating is that the scripture often relates the presence of God to the glory of God. And it says, His glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You will no longer need the light of the sun or the moon or the stars, because His light will literally shine. As individuals, so often we talk about the presence of God. And where does He want to dwell? In us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Isn't that an amazing mystery? That we are the living stones. We are the vessels that Christ loves to habitate. And that He would fill us up with his manifest presence. The presence of David said, do not take your presence from me. And he was a heart after God, like no other man. So one of the keys to the presence of God is a heart after the Lord. Yeah. And those whose heart are wholly devoted to him, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro across the earth. And when you find someone, <laughs> he fills you up. He fills you up. And as he fills you up, your cup overflows. Overflows. And so as out of you, innermost beam will come rivers of living water. And the key to that is God over your heart. From out of it comes the wellspring of life. And when the heart is wholly devoted to him, what we find is that Lord begins to fill that heart. What with? His presence. And the greatest is what? Love. Paul said, I pray that you would literally know the height, the depth, the breadth of that love. Surpasses knowledge. That you might be filled to the fullness of God. And that every knee will bow every family before the creator of heaven and earth. And his presence 
would fill you. And that his glory would change you. So he's fixed your eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. What many people fix their eyes upon is a historical Jesus in the gospel. We see the work of the Lord bringing healing and touching lives. It's an incredible aspect of the person of Christ. We also see him as the crucified Savior, which of course is the point of entry into the knowledge of God. Lord, we come and lay our sins down and our burdens down. We thank you that you died, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Christ, who has died, that we might have life. But one of the things that many of us fail to realize is that he is no longer dead. He is risen. And not only risen, but glorified. He is high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. And his glory will change you. Says we shall be changed from glory to glory. But in order to be changed from glory to glory, we must see the glorified risen Savior. What Paul the Apostle experienced on the road to Damascus was not the dead one. It wasn't the historic Son of Man. He had not seen the miracles as the other apostles had. He had not seen the stone rolled away. He had not put his hand into his side or seen the holes. But what he experienced was the light of heaven shining down upon him. He was blinded by the light. And who did he see? A risen, glorified Savior. Light of the world. The Rose of Sharon. <laughs> he was so touched. He said, I do not come to the knowledge of God through the teachings of man. It came through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He then prayed that the eyes of men's hearts would be opened to revelation of the kingdom of heaven, that we might be seated in heavenly places, that we might truly be caught up. He said, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out, was caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. It talks about how he was encountering the manifest presence of the glory of God. Thank God we have access into the Holy of Holies. John the Apostle said, I do not see the tabernacle. I do not see the, the, the showbread. I saw the Lord. His brightness was so bright, it was literally brighter than the sun in full strength. He said, you do not need the light of the sun or the moon or the stars because he is the light of heaven. I'd um, just like to share just a little bit of that journey. When I came to the Lord, I began to come along to church. And what struck me was that the radiance was appearing upon people. I remember watching people's faces. They began to light up. I read in the psalm, I think it's Psalm 32, those who look to him shall be radiant. I began to see in, 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 um, Exodus, uh, sorry, in Exodus, I think it's 34, Moses went up into the presence of God. He said, do not take your presence from me. And God said, my presence will go before you and will scatter your enemies. And he went up and he said, I want to see you face to face. And the Lord said, well, you can see my form and glory, but my face you're not permitted to see. And as he stood there in the presence of God, it was so amazing that when he came off the mountain, the face of Moses truly began to radiate. 
because why the glory of God had literally so filled his spirit that his countenance could nothing but shine. Rise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You, those who look to him, shall be radiant. God clothes himself in light. He says we are to be clothed in the full armor of light. And he has garments of light, radiant garments of light that he clothes himself in. Psalm 104 verse 2. So I stood watching people in church absolutely shining. Their eyes were like gems. There was, and then I saw that the eyes are the windows of the soul. I realized what they were looking upon was so affecting their soul or in a man that it was beginning to explode out. I could look upon others who had darkness and sadness and grief and brokenness, but I began to realize that some of those folks who knew the Lord, they truly began to shine. And I began to say, God, help me to shine like that. Lord, fill me up. Lord, fill me up. Change me. Create in me a clean heart. Remove whatever hindrance, whatever obstacle, whatever would absolutely stop me from coming and, and being and resting in your presence. I began to see that the identity, the true identity, was actually to find yourself in him. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lived in me. I realized that no matter what I did for the kingdom of God in the way of healing or salvation or prophecy or prayer, nothing could improve upon the love that I felt when I'd stood before him when I died. I'd done nothing except pray the sinner's prayer, Lord, come into my life. I forgive others. I, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Suddenly I'm standing before the glory of God in heaven. El Shaddai Elohim, Yeshua HaMashiach, Messiah. And out of his radiance is coming holiness and purity, love and acceptance. As I stood before him, he filled my vessel up to overflowing. I realized that nothing that I did could improve upon that love. Says the beloved, enter the rest. If you cease striving, you enter a place of rest in his presence. It's no longer me. <laughs> it's no longer I. It's Christ in me. Christ filling me. When you've entered that love and acceptance, it takes performance and striving out of you. You're not trying to do something. It's what the Lord's doing out of the overflow of your relationship with him. People can see Christ in you. And the love that has touched you begins to overflow and touch others around. And the big, big thing was, who has your heart? I began to see that my heart had been caught in so many different things. And having transferred it into church, I found that my heart could get into the ministry. It could get into the loss. It could get into church. What the Lord was wanting was an undevoted, wholehearted devotion to him. He said, where your treasure is is where your heart is. And then if you put your heart into his hands, he will hold it, heal it. And when you give your heart to him, he will give back a hundredfold. So that you have literally exchanged your heart of stone for a heart of flesh. You've taken your broken heart. He's grabbed hold of it. And he always is your first love. Not your wife, not your children, not the calling, not the gifting, not even the office God may have given you. 
The danger is that your office of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher can become more important than the fact that your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that you are beloved, you are his darling, you are his friend, you are one with him. The older I get, the more I realize it's got nothing about what we do. The terrifying thing is we often get so insecure in who we are that we begin to be looking to our calling. Oh, my destiny, the purpose of God. The trouble with that is that you can burn out trying to fulfill it. And the fact that someone has prophesied it over you, no matter how eminent the prophet or apostle is, that's just the invitation to be killed. You haven't arrived. <laughs> if someone calls you out and starts prophesying over you, just realize that is the beginning of the call. Joseph got that when he was a young man, didn't he? How long did it take before he fulfilled his calling? <laughs> David was anointed as a young boy. How long did it take before he fulfilled his calling? What God does is he tests your heart with souls who throw spears at you. He tests your heart with false accusation. Yeah. Potiphar's well, wife. He, he deals with you when your brothers actually throw you in the dungeon and chuck, leave you for dead. He deals with you in the area of how you respond to kings that are literally tyrants. Yeah. He responds to you with pharaohs. He responds to you with taskmasters to see how do you respond in your heart to the call that God's given you. So the fulfillment of the destiny can only come through the wilderness and testing and the fire. If you think you've arrived because someone's given you a great word, just take another step back. Put it on the shelf for a moment and say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, prepare me. Help me that I will not control and manipulate and dominate and lord over as I've had it done to me. Because if I take offense and try to take into my own hands to remove those who have literally um, supposedly hurt me, and they may have, God actually may never let you fulfill your destiny. In fact, your destiny is actually not the call. Even the fact you move in the work of the kingdom, signs, wonders, and miracles, because signs, wonders, and miracles do not necessarily bring people to Christ. Jesus did more signs and wonders and miracles than any of us, and yet we say we will do greater works. The problem was he also realized that that would not bring them into the kingdom. Some people came for food. He fed 5,000. How many followed him? How many lepers came to Christ and were healed? How many even came back and thanked him? How many dead were raised and how many ended up following him? Everyone he prayed for, and he had more power than most of us put together, of course, including most churches in the UK, he saw more signs than what everyone he prayed for, they were healed. How many followed him? He chose 12. He appointed another, what, 72. 84 of them he had appointed himself. <laughs> By the end of three years of ministry, doing the most incredible signs, wonders, and miracles, deliverance, healing, he had how many people actually with him? 120. He added 36 to his team. <laughs> One of them hung himself. It's a great reputation on your CV, isn't it, as a minister? Other one denied him and wanted to turn away and run, Peter. And you know what the greatest thing was? 
love. The greatest is love. They fell in love with who? Jesus. Who he was. How he operated. They fell in love with the person of Christ. Many are called, few are chosen. To be a disciple of Christ will cost you everything. I've seen people miraculously heal blind eyes. I've seen people with deaf ears open, crippled, stand up and walk. doesn't mean they're going to follow Christ. Okay? It doesn't mean it. Because healing and power in a human body is awesome to see. But until that heart's change and they fall in love with the person of Christ and love his presence and love who he is, that healing will literally be almost forgotten. But love will not be forgotten. It's an eternal love. Eternal love. Often people come for their needs to be met. Jesus met their needs. He healed them. But it didn't mean they became disciples of Christ. Okay? just want to bring a balance to so many people following signs, wonders, and miracles. How many have seen a few over the last 30-odd years? How many found out a bunch of them still aren't following God? Okay? The greatest mystery is Christ in me. One heart, one spirit. And out of the rest of God's presence comes the healing power. Out of compassion, he healed the sick. Now, you can move in power, but if you don't have compassion and love, it can also be another thing where all you're doing is putting another miracle up on your website. Power can corrupt purely. Gifts and calling without repentance. In other words, you can operate in your gift and calling without repenting. You can move in the anointing through your office and gifting and actually be in sin. So signs, wonders, and miracles do not actually put a seal of blessing upon that vessel. Power in itself and anointing and giftings are without repentance. You know what Christ looks for? Repentance. Created me a clean heart. It's called sanctification. It calls an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Some people have said, well, I don't need that. I am perfect now. I have arrived. I'm thinking, well, what planet are you on, son? My Bible tells me that we're to fix our eyes upon Jesus and be careful that when we do that, we do not get entangled, which is so easy to do in sin, which is talking to believers who are fixing their eyes upon Jesus. They could be entangled in sin. He also talks about how the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a clean conscience. Some of the believers have actually denied having a clean conscience and a pure heart because they think they've already arrived and have been shipwrecked in regard to their faith. You actually have to be in faith with Christ to be shipwrecked in regard to your faith. It's very simple scriptures. Lord, search my heart. Hasn't changed. Lord, created me a clean heart. The pure in heart will see God. The goal is a clean conscience and a pure heart, that I might be spotless and blameless. Hallelujah. Lord, search me. Come to the root of these issues. The axe has laid at the root. These roots of bitterness that can come in. These are into believers. How many believers have struggled at time with unforgiveness and bitterness? And we know that can defile many. So therefore, as a believer, we need the conviction of the Holy Spirit to make sure that we're not getting bitter and twisted and caught up in unforgiveness because that can happen with offense. And when you take offense, which can so easily happen with, with believers, 
you offended me. You didn't even know my name. You walked past me and didn't shake or smile. You think you were something bigger than me and you walked straight past. Offense is very easy. Forgiveness and, and, and love and thinking the best of that person is a slightly different um, kettle of fish. And being at peace with all men as much as is possible. Guess what? You may not be at peace with everyone, but at least you can maintain peace and love and forgiveness and, and any form of competition or jealousy, which the Bible calls selfishness and is demonic, we can find that we can compete against each other rather than actually resting in the fact that they may fly higher than you. The most secure person is about someone go way above you in anointing and presence and power. And you rejoice in the fact that God is using them. I don't know how I'm getting onto all this, but that's where we are. <laughs> What I love about it is that when Moses saw his glory, it was transformation. But do you know that Moses never entered the promised land because he got angry? When did he enter the promised land? On the Mount of Transfiguration, we find two prophets that never fulfilled their complete destiny entered the promised land. How many know that? One ran from Jezebel and the other one got angry with the people. interesting they appear in the Mount of Transfiguration. I said to the Lord, what else do we see? He said, well, the, I am right through the Old Testament where men would actually meet with me in my glory and my manifest presence. Daniel was an amazing, Daniel chapter 7, he said, I saw him, the ancient of days, his vesture was white like wool like snow. He sat upon a throne which was a blaze of fire and there's a river of fire coming beneath him. One like the Son of Man was presented to him. Him was given a dominion and authority, and all would literally worship him. His kingdom was forever. How do you imagine seeing the, the Ancient of Days, the Father, in all his splendor and glory, and here the Son of God is presented to him? Isn't that a wonderful picture of Christ in the Old Testament? One like the Son of Man, coming. What was he? On a cloud of glory. So here the person of Christ, before he came to earth, was like the Father. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What did the Ancient of Days look like? Here, in vesture, white, like wool, like snow. His face shining. Is that right? Habakkuk said, I saw him. His splendor came from Tiamat. And it said that his glory covered the earth. And it said that out, out of his hands came lightning, which was the hiding of his power. Can you imagine this? Man put um, spikes through Jesus' hands, but before he came to earth, he had literally light and radiance coming forth from his, from his hands, healing hands, the light of his power. <laughs> Isaiah said, I saw him, holy, holy, holy. Coals of fire were taken from the, from the, uh, by, from the altar by the angels and put upon his lips and made him clean. So we find often the glory of God is also related to the fire of God. Both go synonymous. Both light and fire give off what? Radiance. Moses heard God speak to him out of a burning bush of fire. When God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone came from where? Heaven. Chariots of fire came from where when Isaiah, uh, Elijah prayed? From heaven. The manifest presence of God came down upon the altar from where? Heaven. 
So when you see fire, it says he's a refining fire. He's a purifying fire. What fire does is burn up the dross. The children of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a furnace, and one like the Son of God was walking in their midst. What was burnt up with their bonds? He who sets free, the Son of God sets free, is free indeed. The only thing that fire does is burn up rubbish. How many of you got a little bit of rubbish in you that needs to be burnt up? Anyone need to go through the fire? The old revival said, send the fire today. And of course, in the day of Pentecost, tongues of fire appeared above who? The Christians. So often we give fire to demons. The Bible tells me that the demons hate the fire because in Revelations 20.10, they will be cast into the lake of fire and be tormented by it. We're to be the ministers of fire. John said, I baptize in water, but he who comes after me will baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. You got really quiet on me. Fire of God burns up. The fire of God says my prophets will be fire. My word is like a fire. God's breath is like fire and brimstone. Jesus' eyes are flame off. <laughs> the eyes are the windows of his soul. It means Jesus' soul is on. <laughs> so if the fire is God's manifest presence, God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush off. He said, holy ground you're standing on. Fire refines and purifies. Light brings what? Revelation. And the light brings love and peace and, and, and joy and comfort. Why? Because the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, can come like what? A dove? Light? Fire? Water? Oil? The Holy Spirit who glorifies the Son, the third person of the Trinity, truly wants to set your hearts on fire. That you might be ministers of fire. That you might truly move in the fire. Demons hate the fire. They hate it. Because in Ezekiel, was it 28 verse 18, God saw that this anointed cherub that walked around the stones of fire in the midst of heaven. Literally arrogance and, and pride had come into his heart. He looked at the splendor of his own beauty and became conceited and arrogant and said, I am God. I, and Isaiah said, I will lift my throne amongst the most high God. What did God do when he saw Lucifer in this state? It says in verse 18 of Ezekiel 28, he took fire from the midst of his angelic body and consumed it to ash. You hearing me? So that Lucifer and a third of the angels had their angelic bodies consumed how? By fire to what? Ash. And they were cast to earth. How many of you know that? The Bible says we do not fight against flesh and blood. But principalities and powers of darkness, wicked, evil demons. If they have no physical body, how many know you can't see them through the natural eye? But how many know you can see angels, two-thirds of them are still around? How many know that they can take on form? Isn't that a Peter's angel knocking on the door? Who are you, Joshua said to this man? Are you for me or for them? He said, I am the captain of the Lord of hosts. Gabriel came and spoke to who? Mary. Angels we can entertain unannounced. They have form. Demons. Fallen angels have none. You hearing me? Because we fight not against flesh and blood. So don't you dare think you're fighting against people. And don't you dare get into the deceptions of the Gnostic teachings out of the book of Enoch about fighting against human beings. You are completely and absolutely out of this world. 
It's heresy. I thought I'd just drop that in. <laughs> if you think watch your angels that were 300 cubits in size could have sex with human beings when they had no physical form, get the Bible. Read it. We fight not against flesh and blood. No fight against people who've got wrong DNA. We are all created in the image of God. How come you guys are so quiet up here? <laughs> the Spirit of God brings truth. The Spirit of God brings revelation. All His Word is truth. His Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. One of the key things is that you become a living epistle read and seen by all men. That you get this Word not just as intellectual knowledge, but it must be by the Spirit, revelation. It must cut you between the soul and spirit. It must begin to literally penetrate the core of your being so that you are as Christ said I am the word of God made flesh and you behold my glory the glory of the only begotten son of God you know how the glory of God comes when the word of God cuts you and takes you and touches you and heals you Christ the living word we behold his glory glory of the only begotten son of God Christ in us no longer I that live. The cross is death to self. Plans, your, your, it's me, my ministry, my calling. It's called humility. Christ, so look for a servant-hearted, humble leader. John the, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet in his time, said, I must decrease that he must increase. So forget about putting your name in lights. Put the Lord's names in lights. Lift His name up. Don't lift your ministry up. Don't lift your gifting up. Don't lift your calling up. You are there to serve the body of Christ, to lift up His bride, His name, His purposes. And if you learn how to work together in humility, you will realize that you'll prefer one another in love. You'll actually be working together for maintaining unity in the Spirit so that the fullness of Christ might be revealed through His body, the church. It's a body, a building, and a bride. And if we do not have the fivefold operating in the local church, what we will find is that we are literally handicapped. We have areas missing. Not all can be what ears. Not all can be eyes. If they would, it wouldn't be a body, the Bible says. If you're all prophets, it wouldn't be a body. It can't be all feet. How blessed are the feet of those who could bring, bring good news. If we're all feet, we would not be a body. God gave the fivefold what? Not to say the apostles are the top of the pile now. If you say it's first, then prophet second. It's not hierarchical. The greatest leader must be the greatest servant. The job of the apostle is to serve the others, that they would fly higher than himself, not to control them and make a club hand. The whole degree is to allow each person to have the authority that Christ has given, not to lord and reign over them, but serve them. If you start putting the apostle at the head of the church, you miss it. Christ is the head of the church. Not man, not an office. It's gifts and calling given. The apostle can prophesy, evangelize, pastor, and teach, but his job is not to then control everyone and put them into position. His job is actually serve them, stand back, and let them fly. It's out of relationship, humility, servant-hearted leadership, not lording or controlling or dominating by human means. This is how the world runs. If they're fivefold or not in the church, you then have to hire them in as hirelings. We've got enough of that going on in the body of Christ. 
The key is that God's got them there. What to bring them to maturity, the full stature, that each would be, nothing would be lacking. Christ is real smart. He made sure they didn't give this entire gifting of who he was to one person. If he did, you wouldn't need anyone else. I'm the fullness of the representation of Christ. All I have to do is replace a Timothy like me, and I will have someone perfect. Thank God none of you can bring anyone to perfection. Because Christ is the apostle. He is the prophet, the pastor, teacher, and evangelist. He was smart enough to make sure he gave bits of the gift to each person that are different. So you have to find each other to work together. Because <laughs> if you don't, birds will feather flock together. You'll have uniformity, not unity. Uniformity is not unity. If you have a whole bunch of evangelists, you don't have uniformity. You don't have unity, you have uniformity. If you have a bunch of prophets, you don't have unity, you have uniformity. And do you realize that the school of the prophets is an Old Testament revelation? The prophets in Acts chapter 13 in Antioch were actually on staff. And the teachers were too. They weren't just sitting there having a school of Bible, understand Bible schools. The actual school was in the church. Oh, you're going real quiet on me. <laughs> if you do not understand each other and cannot work with each other, the problem is the, was the wineskin, not the new wine. New wine comes in, Jesus said, and tears the wineskin. The wineskin is actually the leadership. The problem with the body of Christ right now is that the leaders don't work together. How many of the, how many of the sheep know that one? And if we put a bottleneck on it because of the understanding of the, of the gospel, we end up then driving people out. And they form parachurch organizations because it's not happening in the body. If you're outside of it, bring your gifting, lay it down and serve the body of Christ. Get away from your independent groups, get away from your, your schools or whatever you're doing and come into the house. If you want unity and you're praying for it, then if you've got a gift, use it to serve. Yeah. Yeah. Is that okay? I'm just... <laughs> the mystery of the kingdom of God is to equip and train, preparing the saints for the work of ministry. But you, without other giftings and other offices, cannot bring a person to maturity. You'll reproduce them just after your own kind. Okay? The danger is we camp around signs, wonders, and miracles. Have we been following Jesus, who never started the church in the Gospels? He was working with what? Leaders. He did no evangelism in the Gospel. None. That's got you thinking, hasn't it? What did he do? He brought the manifest presence of the kingdom of God in the Gospels. He got his disciples to do what? work together. He spoke in mysteries and parables to the, to the masses, but he unpackaged the mysteries of the gospel to the disciples. They were competing with each other. I'm going to sit at your right hand. I want to sit at your left. What did the Lord do? He said, don't worry about Satan falling from heaven, signs, wonders, and miracles. Thank God your name's written in the book of life, and you can't be saying, I want to sit at your right and at your left. Pull yourself back in with some humility. Had we been following Jesus and we saw the 5,000 fed, we would have the Fish and Lives Church. We would have camped around the miracle. If we had gone and seen the legion of demons cast out, we would have the deliverance ministry. We would have camped over there. Yeah. 
If we had gone to the healing of the pool of Siloam, we would have what? The stirring of the waters church. Or we'd have healing ministries. The fact is, Jesus never camped around the healing. He never camped around deliverance. He even started raising the dead. Oh my gosh, I raised the dead. We could have the resurrection life ministry. Then while we go up onto the Mount of Transfiguration, the cloud of glory comes down. No, we're the Shekinah glory, open heaven, radical cloud ministry. Come to us and we'll take you to heaven. Come and seek us. We're up on the mountains. Are you listening to anything that I'm saying? Oh, we're the walking on the water ministry. No, we're the quiet in the elements and rebuke the wind. What did Jesus do? He walked away from all of them. And where did he send them when they got healed? It was the old covenant, go back to the priest, go back to the, go back to the temple. Because he still hadn't formed the new wineskin. He was working with leaders... We would have thought, my gosh, we should have an evangelistic crusade, 5,000 people. We now need to drop a leader here. We could have left one of the apostles to look after that one. We'll go over here and we'll leave another apostle over here. Jesus took all 12 of them and he kept them away from what? Establishing their own ministry. After three years, he had how many people? 120. It wasn't a prayer meeting. 120 leaders. And when they had unity, when they become in one accord, what happens? God then pours out the fire and the wind and the anointing. Then they stumble out with any signs, wonders and miracles. And Peter, who just put his foot in his mouth a little while ago and who basically denied Christ, is given the opportunity to speak first. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And those who believe should be baptized and the gift of the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon you and your children's children. Is that right? How many got saved with that simple evangelistic message? The first one we see, 3,000. You imagine if you had 3,000 saved in most churches in one day. Who on earth is going to look after them? But Jesus had 120 leaders. He had 12 apostles in there. Captains of thousands, captains of fifties, captains of hundreds, isn't it? Captains of tens. If you are a leader and the minimum you can do is run a connect group or a home group, ten, how big could 120 leaders build their church to if they could look after a home group? 1,200 member church, isn't it? What happens if you've got captains of thousands and you've got 12 apostles in there? 12,000 member church, is that true? We're always looking for someone. Oh, it was James who led the church. Oh, no, it was Peter. And Paul even rebuked him and said, some say I follow Apollos. Some people say I follow Peter. Some say they follow Paul. But he said, you should be following Jesus. Why would God make it apostles, not singular but plural? Because he knows full well that some apostles can blow up. Why would he give prophets? Why, when a word comes into the Corinthian church, that there would be three other prophets that would check it out, a minimum of three, because he knew that some prophets would blow up. How easy it was to replace Judas. If you think your ministry in coin is that important, you've got another thing coming. 
What we do is we set people up with spiritual idolatry for the fall. Becomes a bottleneck. It's arrogance and pride. We do a disservice to individuals who we lift up. And they become high and lifted up. They will actually, they're human. The chances are somebody's going to take them out. Gold, girls, or glory. Nowadays it could be boys too. So one of those three could be taking them out. You take the gold, you have power, money. You can influence. You can sell product. You can do what the priest Jesus came in and said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. Stop selling things. If you took products out of most ministries and the royalties from it, you would find that most ministries would fall over tomorrow. I'm talking to leaders. The Bible says, freely receive, freely give. You show me one instance in the Bible where the apostles sold anything. Where Jesus sold anything. Put copyright on it or royalties on it. Now the musicians are coming. <laughs> And don't you dare sell your stuff. I said to God, what happens if you do? He said, they've got the reward. They forfeit any eternal reward. They take it here on earth. Do you realize that money can empower you? How many know we need to be empowered by faith? The righteous will live by faith. Taking the glory means that you want your name to be lifted up, that everyone's got your name on their lips. What are we supposed to do? The name of Jesus. Christ is looking for a bride. He's looking for leaders who will literally serve, lay down their life, not be first, be last. <laughs> you realize the apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church? <laughs> How many know that everyone walks on foundations? <laughs> they do what? They walk on them, stand upon them. Who's the cornerstone? Christ. You and Jesus and one other person is not the church. That's the cornerstone. The church is a building, living stones. It says the foundations are apostles and prophets. Then teachers, the walls. Who's the roof? The pastor in the covering. Who's supposed to fill the house? The evangelist. Becomes living stones, fitted together, that the glory of God may come into the house, the building. The body says the hand can't do without the foot. The eye can't do without the heart. Heart speaks about the pastor, the father heart. The eyes are the seers of the prophet. The mind, the teacher. To have a living body, you need every part of that fitted together. You cannot lift one above the other. If you begin to think that it's only apostles and prophets, and they are the ones that are now to bring heaven down, and the pastor, teachers, and evangelists are not heavenly minded, that's heresy. Because Christ isn't seated in heavenly places. He is the shepherd who goes looking for the lost sheep he's the evangelist he also is the pastor he loves to heal broken hearts and he is also the teacher he's not only the prophet spirit of prophecy he's not only the apostle of our faith he is the fullness of who the fivefold is the danger with pride is that we think well last 10 years it was prophets and everyone wanted to be a prophet now the new catchword is apostles everyone wants to be an apostle if your identity is in your ministry and your calling, you've missed it completely. Some are apostles, some prophets, not in a hierarchical position, but they are given to help build the body and serve it and lay their lives down. And I've met teachers who are so heavenly minded when they speak, the word of revelation comes out of that. I've been reading the Bible for 30 years and I'm thinking, 
where did that come from? I've heard people talking on the Father heart of God and I have wept and wept as I begin healing broken hearts and begin to minister the, the Spirit into the Lord into orphan hearts. I've seen evangelists who have wept and stood there as multitudes get saved. Fields are white. They are pouring out their heart. Signs, wonders and miracles are coming. None is greater than the other. None. None more important. The problem is that it's very hard for prophets and teachers to see eye to eye. Very hard for evangelists and teachers. That's why the apostles have been brought to actually what bring these together. Instead of you poking the devil with your school of prophecy or your school of evangelism or your Bible schools or your one-man pastors, God's got it so that we could actually have a servant-hearted leadership of apostles who are actually going to try and bring what? Some authority back into the body of Christ with some true unity and diversity. And the mystery of the church is the marriage, isn't it? Great mysteries. First mystery, Christ in us. The mystery of oneness with Christ. The mystery of what? Wisdom and knowledge. The mystery of Israel. These are all mysteries. But it says the great mystery in Ephesians chapter 5 is the mystery of the marriage. Do you realize that marriage is another wonderful picture of the church? Christ is coming back for his bride. Abraham had a son called Isaac. And as a father, the father of faith, sent a servant out to look for a bride, found Rebekah who was serving and watering the camels. Great riches were poured upon her. She came back to Isaac and they became husband and wife. Do you realize that God, the heavenly father, who is also looking for a bride for his son, Jesus, has sent the Holy Spirit to earth to look. First miracle Jesus did was what? At a wedding. He said, the mystery of the kingdom of God is the virgins, isn't it, with oil in it, preparing themselves for a bridegroom. Will you be ready when he comes as a bride? There's three wonderful pictures, bride, building, and body. These are three wonderful pictures of what the body of Christ is. You need to know how you're to be connected. How are you to be one with, with each other? And if you can actually understand the strength of someone else's gifting and calling, you will not compete with them. You will not separate from them. You will actually work together to maintain unity in the spirit. And let's see if we can get it in one house, isn't it? Have an apostle. You understand that? Do you have any understanding? How many would like to get more apostles? Prophet. Do you often the mystery of the marriage is the husband who's an apostle marries a prophet? Fascinating, isn't it? Mystery's great. How many know we've been married to Christ? <laughs> Here's my heart. I think we're finished, aren't we? We've got to get out of here. So, Lord, I want to pray you would get a revelation of the kingdom of heaven. Not only for yourself, but to understanding of why Christ is trying to bring the church together as one. There's some comprehension of who Christ is, the fullness of Christ. Some idea how the new wineskins are supposed to work together. 
God then takes the Romans 12, Ministry of Hospitality, Mercy, Compassion, which is unfortunately, because the church isn't doing it, we end up sitting well vision, feed the hungry, and, and orphanages and hospitals. They're supposed to be part of the Ephesians 4. They make the house a home. They clothe, feed the naked, clothe the naked, feed the sick, reach out to the homeless and the unloved, bring them into the house. So if they begin to all work together, we could break down this independent ministries who have gathered around compassion and mercy. Trouble is if evangelist goes anywhere near them and say, don't come near us, we're just feeding them. Don't you preach to them. But woo, 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 that's part of the gospel, isn't it? Don't prophesy over them. Don't try and minister to them. We're going to do it through our serving. So when you have uniformity and everyone thinks the same, you just get compassion ministries all huddled into one little group. And then they reproduce after their own kind. You can get the word, this would be a house of prayer. The danger is then you end up forming what? Just prayer. You reproduce after your own kind. So if you camp around healing, you'll reproduce healing rooms. If you camp around prayer, you'll reproduce prayer houses. How many know it's all supposed to be in the same house? Now, some of you will hate what I'm saying, but I'm actually a visiting preacher, so it's fine. You camp around a sign, wonder, or work of the Spirit... Because you say, that's my destiny, that's my calling. If you do not know that's all supposed to be in the one house, you'll miss the revelation of what the house is supposed to be. Then when the house becomes whole, it reproduces after its own kind. So true church planning is the DNA of the fivefold and, the, and also the Ephesians chapter 12, administration, hospitality and mercy. None are any more important than the other. They all function together to build His church. They then have the DNA that reproduces. If you reproduce and you think, I am going to camp around teaching, I am now going to set up Bible schools, you reproduce Bible schools. Then you're going to have to hire in evangelists, missionaries, pastors, apostles to actually speak at your Bible school. And if you're setting up a school of evangelism and you're just going out and getting everyone saved, who's going to disciple them? Who's going to teach them? Who's going to pastor them? Oh, I just give a list of names and if they want to come to my crusades, they can pick up some of the souls at the altar. Any teacher will tell you that 98% of them will never enter the church. So your work is actually in vain. It's hay, straw and stubble. When I first got saved, I did 3,000 people to the Lord in the streets. Signs, wonders and miracles. God said, where are they? After six months, he said, where are they? I said, I wouldn't know. We've tried to work with churches. That church had 100 people, one guy. He couldn't even look after any of them. He didn't even have enough leadership to look after his own flock. So I stopped doing that and immediately re-entered back into the body of Christ. I spent the last 30 years serving other churches. I almost do almost all my ministry with local churches. Why? There's a higher chance that those people through Oikos evangelism will actually be brought into a family. I can run my own crusades and have thousands and blah, blah, blah. What's that going to do? 
98% of them will never make it. You realize that friendship and love is one of the greatest forms? You can prophesy and take people to heaven and say, hold my hand. But I tell you what, if you do not work with other apostles, you'll get into error. You need teachers to bring some form of theological correction to some of this heresy that's going on. Because the Bible says warns we'll have false prophets, false apostles, and false teaching in the last days. One of the greatest protections is to be around others. Not to idolize them, but to honor them in the Lord. Shall we pray? So Lord, we thank you that you are going to build your church spotless, blameless, holy and pure. You're coming back for a bride who has the first love, Christ. You're coming back for a living building that literally living stones that are fitted together in whom your glory will pour out. Lord, the Jews are building their temple. Thank God we are to be building the temple of the Lord with living people that the glory of God might fill the house again. We thank you that we are a body that functions, taking the gospel to the nations, healing broken hearts, setting captives free, that we are to fit together as a whole body, not just all eyes, not just all feet, but truly a body that actually is fitted and joined together with you as the head. Help us, Lord, to know how you want to glorify your bride, how you want to come and bring your manifest presence into the house, that you would habitate in the house, that you would remain. We pray, Lord, that you would touch hearts that don't know you, that your healing presence would begin to flow into those here today that need miracles. And I pray that salvation would come and those who have turned away would find you afresh today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.